Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 158 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It's Tuesday, April 9th, 2019. Well, the season's over, but we have a lot of stuff to get to today. Um, most importantly being that Trey Jones has announced that he is coming back for his sophomore season. So all that and some of your mailbag questions coming up. But first, of course, I am your host this week. I am Sam Klein. I am coming to you, as I often do, from Durham, North Carolina, the home of the Blue Devils. I am joined, as always, by Donald Wine in Washington, D.C. Donald, good evening. Good evening, and uh, thank you guys for uh, facilitating this tonight. I was at the D.C. United game. But guys, fun fact for me, um, over the weekend, I was in Denver in L.A. and recently achieved the uh, honor of attending my 100th game for the U.S. men's and women's national teams. Whoa, that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, uh, I, I've had a lot more games in Cameron, but I'm, I'm getting there on the soccer yeah, side. And, and, you're, and you're committed to it, and you'll stick with it, and you'll see more soccer. Exactly. And of course, we have Jason Evans, who's in Atlanta. Jason, hello. Hey, I'm a little tired because the national championship game like ended at like 1230 or something like that last night. Because um, it went to overtime and because they started the game at like 930 and because they add extra commercials and extra halftime and we have to listen to Charles Barkley and blah, 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 blah. And it was such an exciting, great game that by the time I had sort of wound down enough to fall asleep, I looked at the clock and it said like 130. It was it was bad even, night. Don't even get me started. I, I flew back from L.A. on a red eye on Sunday night. Did not sleep on the red eye, which I normally do, but it did not sleep on the red eye home on both flights. Went to work straight from straight from the airport to work, went to a French class to come back to watch that game. And I said, I'll fall asleep when that game's over. Nope. 1230. I was up for over 36 hours. I hated that game last night, but it ended up being a decent game at the end. I was I was up till about two o'clock after the game. I was I was pretty wound up and and hanging out with friends. So there you go. Can no you- one sleeps. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if it had been Duke in that game going to overtime, and we'd we wouldn't have slept for like days? Can I? No, can, no, I no. can I? Can I be blunt? Can I be blunt real quick? If we went to overtime and it was Duke in that game, I would have shit myself. <laughs> <laughs> Straight up, I, 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 I wouldn't even lie. That, that I would not been have been moment. having a good time. I would. Yeah. I would be having a very very stressful time if that was Duke in that game. Um, uh, guys, so speaking of of basketball and late nights and and waiting up for the news. The big story for Duke fans this weekend uh, really started Saturday night when Trey Jones sent out an Instagram post with a picture of him doing the shrug emoji basically in real life uh, that said year two and everyone started freaking out. And then oh, wait, he, it said year two question mark. Year two question, question mark. mark. With, yeah. a, with a shrug image, an image of him shrugging. The shrug image and the shrug emoji him. all yeah. in one. Yeah. yeah. And then... And then the next day, a picture of his jersey hanging in the locker at at uh, I don't know if it was at the Sweet Sixteen or, or one of the games during March Madness, and with a with a little heart and a and a cross your fingers emoji, and everyone was freaking out. And then finally, the Duke basketball, the main Duke basketball account yesterday, uh, sent out a uh, made it official that Trey Jones is coming back for his his sophomore season. So he'll be the Duke point guard next season. I know that last week when we talked a little bit about sort of where does Duke go from here, that was one of the main points of speculation is that we didn't, we weren't sure if Trey Jones was going to be 
leaving to go to the draft and try to make it in the NBA or if he was going to give it another shot here in Durham. And it sounds like he's coming back. We haven't actually heard officially that any of the so-called big three of Zion Williamson, RJ Barrett, and Cam Reddish are leaving. But we do know that Trey Jones is coming back, although we assume those other guys are gone. So knowing that bit of roster news, Jason, I'll go to you first. What is your sort of initial reaction to to Trey Jones returning? And how do you think it affects the team uh, heading into next season? Well, I I really feel like Duke was like a top 15-ish kind of team, maybe top 10, but maybe like back into the top 20 um, if he had not come back. We were a team that had, uh, you know, some interesting, very promising uh, recruits. We had some some good guys returning, um, not guys who'd played huge roles, but guys where you could sort of see how they would build into bigger and bigger roles. But we were a team with a glaring hole, and the glaring hole was at point guard. There was absolutely no one on the roster who looked like they were uh, really a, a starting ACC caliber point guard. Um, and, uh, you know, there were lots of dif- there was lots of different speculation of how Coach K and the coaching staff might deal with this. There was talk about transfers, grad transfers, perhaps getting um, players to reclassify um, from uh, an earlier class, from the 2020 class, put them down into the 2019 class and get them to come to Duke early. But none of those answers, none of those ways to plug this hole were nearly as good as plugging it with Trey Jones, the guy who just set the record for a freshman um, uh, in assist to turnover uh, ratio, um, uh, breaking his brother's record. Best freshman assist to turnover ratio in Duke history belongs to Trey Jones. And now he's not just going to be a freshman, he's going to be a sophomore. And to me, there's one big thing I want to talk about this, which is I think there's sort of this misnomer out there that Trey was really worried that his draft stock had tumbled and that he wasn't going to be, you know, if he was going to be a first rounder, it was end of the first round, you know, likely he was maybe going to go in the first 10 or so picks of the second round. And so people are like, Oh, he came back because, uh, you know, he's going to be in a bad contract situation and um, you know, and not have a chance to not have as good a chance to make an NBA roster. I think that is wrong. And let me explain why. I agree with those assessments of where his stock was going to be very late first to early second. But the way the NBA works nowadays, if you look look at last year, look at the previous year, guys who go in the first 10 or so picks of the second round, they get guaranteed contracts. Usually it's a two, maybe a three-year deal. Um, And the money is pretty similar, not quite, but pretty similar, over a million dollars a year pretty similar to the money you get at the very end of the first round. So from a monetary standpoint, I don't think that there was a huge, huge risk to Trey Jones going into this draft um, if he'd chosen to go into the draft. So I think the reason Trey Jones came back was blatantly obvious after the Michigan State game. You guys have seen the video in the locker room of Trey Jones crying his eyes out. He loved being a part of the Duke team. He loved wearing the Duke uniform. And I think when he looked deep inside himself and he thought about what his legacy would be at Duke, and I think he probably thought a little bit about his brother who, who, had, who wears a national championship ring on his finger. I think Trey Jones said, I'm not done with this yet. Now, I, I think that he can really improve his draft stock if he comes back and, and shoots better. 
I mean, his three-point shooting percentage was really, really bad. Um, and that was the reason that his stock was, you know, taking a hit in the NBA. If he shoots better, and I'm not talking like he needs to hit 40%, hit it 40%. if he can get to 33 to 35, 36, 37% on his threes, Trey Jones's stock is going through the roof because he's a brilliant distributor. He sees the floor and moves the ball around incredibly well. And he's one of the best defensive players in, you know, we've ever seen at the position. He is a great, great defender. Um, so he has those other aspects. If he gets his shooting up a little bit, his stock will improve, but I don't think he came back because of his stock. I say again, I think he came back because he wanted to wear D-U-K-E on his uniform again. Donald, right. am I right? <laughs> Donald, do you have any more to say on that? Well, yeah, I, I think, you know, in the end, you know, we're talking about Trey Jones and we're talking about a guy who has some things to work on. And, and usually when, when guys come back, you're like, hey, it's great that we have his – it's great we have a distributor – it's great we have a great defender. It's great that we have another leader out there um, because when a sophomore point guard, he's the floor general. And when you have a floor general come back, that creates consistency. And that means that all these guys that are on the court right now, we they know how to deal with Trey Jones. And really, you just have to plug in a couple of new guys and figure out how they can work with Trey Jones on the court, distributing the ball and being the floor general. Jason, you mentioned a lot of the stats about his shooting. Um, obviously, he can work on the shots. And I hope that he and Alex O'Connell and Jack White and Joey Baker and even Boogie Ellis, when he gets to campus, we can do, they're in the gym shooting 500 jump shots a day um, for, for the rest of the summer until practice starts because that, him developing an outside shot of anything, of any type of significance is going to be huge for this team. And we're not asking, the great thing about him is he doesn't have to care. He doesn't have to uh, shoot the ball you know, 10, 11 times a game. He's going to distribute way more than he shoots. But when he gets the ball, I mean, last year from two point, he was 48.4%. He was 26.2% from three. And he took 2.9 2.93s a game. So what that means is if he's going to shoot a little bit more, which as a sophomore, you probably would call him and do just a little bit more, but not too much. If he's shooting over 50% from two, that means we're okay. And if he's going to do that and shoot and he can shoot 80% from the free throw line and even get to, like you said, Jason, you know, 30, 35% from three point, that's going to translate from where he was at nine points a game this year to 13 to 15 points a game. That's an extra four to six points a game. That's going to mean a lot of difference when we're talking about uh, late night, late games, you know, what, what are Achilles heels from this year? Hitting three pointers at the free throw line. If he can improve in both areas, that is going to only fuel the rest of the team to do better as well. That is going to be the part of the leadership that we're going to need to see from Trey Jones next year. Yeah, the the uh, you guys are right. The shooting is the is the main thing for him. I think that he has demonstrated NBA ready, probably defensive ability, uh, especially on the ball, but but even off the ball and and sort of operating the defense. I think that we we expect him to be a fairly serviceable point guard, you know, in the, in the distribution area and the shooting is, is obviously really lacking. Um, that's the, that's the part that he needs to improve on. And that's the part that he can improve on. Um, he can, as you said, Donald, he can work on it over the summer. He can get better in the shooting department and, and he can prove, um, next season. I think, you know, it, it's fairly straightforward for him to prove to, uh, to NBA teams that he is ready to make that step. And, 
I think I agree that that he's not at this point. You know, in in the NBA, if you have a glaring weakness like that, if you if you can't hit the three and you're expected to play point guard, then other teams are just never going to respect you, and they're going to pack it in, and and you're going to be a liability on offense. Trey Jones knows that. I'm sure the coaching staff had discussions with him about it, about you know what his development plan looks like. And look, not everybody needs to leave for the NBA after a season, uh, even if you're a five star recruit. There are still guys who stick around and and make it work Grayson Allen is is playing in the NBA this year and he was a five-star recruit who stuck around for four years so yep it's not like it's not like that just because Duke has had an abundance of these guys these one and done guys the last few years doesn't mean that Trey Jones has to be on that same trajectory and uh and so it makes sense for him and 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 look as Duke fans we have to be really excited about this Duke doesn't now have to go um doesn't have to like onboard a new point guard. They don't have to teach a guy, you know, how to how to make all the looks and and run the defense and, and all the stuff that Coach K expects out of his point guards. They get to bring back a guy who was integral to the team's success this year, who was one of the best players on the floor, you know, f- just from a consistency standpoint. There, there was no didn't seem to us at least that there was a freshman wall that that Trey Jones hit. So having a guy like that back on the roster and, and being a steadying presence is going to be essential for Duke's success next season, especially as they bring a lot of new guys on from high school and and bring a lot of returning players into much more prominent roles than they had this year. Jason, did you have That's anything a, else that is, on, the, on the Trey Jones thing? That is exactly what I was going to bring up as my last thought on this was we were going to be very inexperienced again next year in terms of big game experience playing a large role in important games. Um, you know, yeah, we were uh, Jack White, Javin Delorier, Alex O'Connell, Marquise Bolden. These guys certainly play, played in big games, but 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 playing a key role in those games was something that that none of them had done. Um, Trey Jones, you don't get more key than than being the point guard who initiates the attack and um, and the the spearhead of of the defense. And Trey Jones returns having played. Look down the stretch. I talked about it at one point. He basically was playing every single minute of competitive games. He only came out if Duke was you know blowing the doors off of someone. So he has abundance of experience, and I think that's going to translate to the rest of the team in a very big way. And then I just wanted to say really quickly. Point guard, such an important position. And to get great defense from your point guard affects the D all over the rest of the floor. Trey's ability to, to uh, you know, force opposing point guards to start their offense further out, to not give them room to see the floor and operate and make good entry passes and things like that, it affects the ability of all the other four guys on the team it makes it easier for them to be good defenders. We talk about Duke not being super experienced. We know that Vernon Carey is going to play a lot of minutes. If we get Matthew Hurt, he's probably going to play a lot of minutes. These are not guys for defensive effort in the post. And having someone really hard for opposing players to make good entry passes and put the ball where guys wants to get it is going to make Carey a better defender, going to make Hurt a better defender, going to make the entire Duke defense better. Yeah, I agree. And and to close it out, I think when we're talking about Trey Jones, really, when I when I go back to where consistency, if you look at our national championship teams, very rarely did they involve a inexperienced point guard running the floor. The only one that we're talking about here is the 2015 team, which coincidentally featured Trey's brother, Tyus. And, and even in 2001, when Chris Duhon took the reins 
it, he wasn't the point guard most of the season. He was a guy coming off the bench and providing that cover until one t- one day Coach K said, Nate James, we're going to move you to the bench to be our sixth man. We're going to bring this kid off the bench and and start him as point guard. And he facilitated, and, and that kind of change led this team and kind of sparked this team. With Trey Jones behind the wheel and, and really being the guy that's, you know, the floor general, that is going to be a consistency that we haven't seen from our position in quite a while. And, I mean, if you think about the, the point guards that we've had over the years, when's the last time we've had one that's really been there for more than a couple of years that was at that position? It was probably Nolan Smith back in, you know, 10 and 11. And, and, that, and, 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 and that's, is that even considering Nolan Smith the point guard? I, exactly, you know, right. You could say that Nolan Smith was basically a, only a point guard senior year after Kyrie Irving went down. Correct. Um, exactly. I think you got to go back to Greg Paulus to find the last time Duke had a, you know, returning point guard who played a prominent role. And it's not like Greg Paulus was, was all that effective in, in his later years. So yeah, right. we haven't seen, we haven't seen this in a long time, right, Donald? Yeah, exactly. And, and the point of that is when it, this is a point guard, that is our best distributor, our best defender. Those two things are, are hustle points. Like, you know, yeah, I, I think the one thing that may be difficult next year is he's not going to have a lot of highlight assists because Zion Williamson and RJ Barrett are are unlikely to be on this team. But at the end of the day, that defense is going to be what we what our bread and butter was back in the day. That's what fed a lot of these championship teams is that our defense fed into our offense. And when our best defender is coming back and is a year older and wiser and is able to teach some of the younger guys and even some of the older guys the type of defense that we have come to expect from Duke teams, that is something that is a really big boost to our team for 2019-2020. All right. So I wanted to move on from the Trey Jones discussion because I, th- I think we've we've covered that pretty well. Before we do, I, I wanted to apologize that I completely forgot to mention our sponsor at the top of the show. Of course, Bird Campbell, the law firm with offices in Texas and in Florida, uh, law firm started by two Duke alumni and, and former roommates and longtime Blue Devils, um, Jamie Campbell and Tucker Bird. Bird Campbell, of course, means business. Check out B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com, birdcampbell.com for more details. So we said last week that this week we wanted to do a little mailbag show, which we are following through on. I don't know how often it is we actually follow through on the promises that we make, but um, today we are. I would like to say we don't lie to our fans. Look, Um, we look, we try not to. We try not to, but sometimes things get busy. And and like last week we had a lot to cover and we wanted to discuss a lot of things, but I'm glad Sam that we get to do it this week. So we're doing the mailbag. Of course, if if you do want to send us questions, the uh, (laughs) questions can always come to DBR podcast at gmail.com. We're going to get to a couple of them here. So I want to start with Jason. Jason, there was one that we got that I think you particularly liked. Why don't you go ahead and kick us off? Sure. This is from a, a listener named David McKinnis. And David said he was re-watching. He wrote this after the season ended. He was re-watching the NC Duke ACC tournament game. And I don't blame him at all for re-watching that. I, I too, have re-watched that. It is a wonderful, um, wonderful game to, to watch. Um, and, and he says he realized the Duke's lucky streak that people talked about a little bit in the NCAA tournament, that it started before the NCAA tournament. He says, if you look at our last nine games, we had an incredibly lucky run in the last nine games, Duke went seven and two and over half of those wins 
were really fortunate. The games against Wake Forest, UNC, Central Florida, and Virginia Tech were all won when the opposing team missed a very, very makeable shot in the final seconds. Um, And he said, you know, thankfully for Duke, the ball didn't go down. And then finally against Michigan State, our luck ran out. And so that's was that was David McInnes's comment, and he asked us to sort of talk about that luck. And I I don't know that I would talk about it other than to say, yeah, David, he is he is dead on target. When you think about, it, especially that UCF game, where I, and we we discussed this. I don't know how Aubrey Dawkins' tip doesn't go in, but then the Virginia Tech game right after it. Uh, I mean, they have a they have a lob at the rim. I don't know how that doesn't go in. Duke was unbelievably fortunate. Th- that Wake Forest game, we should have lost to Wake Forest. Um, I, we, we, we got unfathomably lucky several times in a row, and it, and it kept our season alive and, and provided some amazing, wonderful moments for us. But it leads me to something else, and it's going to get us into a longer conversation um, uh, sort of about luck and about success. Gentlemen, Virginia is the national title winners. It's the first time they've won the national title in their history. They may be the luckiest national title winner we've ever seen. In their final three games against Purdue, Auburn, and Texas Tech, in all three of those games, Virginia trailed inside the final minute. Oh, no, no, wait. Sorry, inside the final 15 seconds. Virginia trailed, and it looked like they weren't going to win. I went to Ken Palm. And I checked out, you know, he has these graphs, these charts of win percentages at any given moment in the game. Now, unfortunately, he doesn't parse it all the way down to, you know, Mamadou Diatik tips the ball back into the backcourt um, where Kahi Clark has to have to grab it. Because, you know, I'm talking about the game against Purdue um, when Virginia was down two and and the shot was and the clock was running out. And Kahi Clark was basically running the wrong direction with the ball because he was chasing it down. If, if you could track that moment, I think Virginia had less than a 1% chance of winning. But Pomeroy says against Purdue, Virginia had a 9% chance of winning at the very end. Against Auburn, they had only a 4% chance of winning. Um, uh, that's probably the moment where Kyle Guy was taking his um, uh, three-pointer that, uh, uh, that he got fouled on. And against Texas Tech, they had about an 11% chance, 11.7% chance of winning. That's, you know, again, late, late, late in the game probably right before they they hit that three-pointer to tie it up. Um, if you multiply those out, I went ahead and did this. 9% against Purdue, 4% against Auburn, 11.7% against Tech, Texas Tech. You multiply those out, you get that for Virginia to win those three games, it was only four chances in 10,000 that they would do that. They had a .042 chance of winning those three games, given the circumstances they were in, in those three games, four in 10,000. That's just absurd. It's crazy. And yet Virginia cuts down the nets. Virginia, you know, avenges the loss to a 16 seed last year. And the story is about how great this Virginia team was. Luck, 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 luck plays such a huge role in the one and done NCAA tournament, you've just you know you've got to have now Virginia got crazy lucky, I, you know I can't even imagine how lucky they got to to pull out some of those wins, but 
you just you got to be really, really good. And then once you're really, really good, I think that you are one of several teams that just has to get lucky. And it's just a matter of who gets lucky at the right moment. I'm not sure there's anything more to it than that. Um, and, and, you know, I'm glad that David pointed it out to us. Um, it's unfortunate that Duke didn't have the luck this year. But you know what? Some years we get it. Some years you don't. Yeah, I, I think when you're talking about luck, I mean, I, I want to talk about UVA for a second. Then I'm going to talk about Duke for for a little bit, too. I mean, just you don't have to think about the last three games, Jason, to talk about how lucky UVA was. And, and I'm not saying this to discredit their run to a national title because to get to a national title, as we all know, is difficult. And, and But when you're looking at what they played, they played a 16 seed, a 9 seed, a 12 seed, a 3 seed, a 5 seed, and a 3 seed to get to that national championship. The only team that they played that was the strongest team that they could possibly face at that given point was their very first game. And remember, they were down 14 points to them in the first half. Uh, and that was that 16 seed in Gardner-Webb. So you have that. But here's the thing. We talk about this a lot in football, and, we, and it translates to basketball as well. They say you have to have good offense, good defense, good special teams, good coaching, good intangibles. And even after all that, you still need the luck portion of it. And for us, we didn't have that. We had everything else. We had a good offense. We had a good defense. We, had the, we have the best coach ever. It, we we have the intangibles. The luck did run out against Michigan State. The luck had run out, in my opinion. We, we've had bad luck all season. Just think about it. How many games did we have a full squad? Very few. We lost the best player in college basketball for five game, for six games. We lost Trey Jones for a few games. We lost Cam Reddish for a few games due to the flu and due to the knee injuries. We, we've lost we, – we had a lot of games where freak injuries happened against – UNC twice, we lost a player the first three minutes of the game. Those things are all luck, and, and we didn't have it this year. And it's not it's, – it's hard to say that it's, it's anybody's fault because, you know, it, that's what it is. You have to have that in the end, and we didn't have it. And some teams did. If you can fast forward to the tournament and, and go through those games against UCF and Virginia Tech and even Michigan State all you want, but the luck that we had was going in and out the entire year. And it just so happened that our luck ran out at a time that we were, you know, five seconds away from possibly going to another Final Four. And who knows what would have happened from there? Because, again, if we'd gotten to that Final Four, maybe luck was on our side. It just wasn't this year. And, and I think that's all just a part of the game. And it is uh, something that you kind, of, you, you kind of just have to shake your head because in our minds, we're like, hey, we entered a – there was a Final Four where – all but the team that beat us, we had beaten. There's three teams that we had beaten all year, and the only team in there that, that we hadn't beaten was Michigan State. If we're in Michigan State's place, is, who knows what have happened. But it's, it, that's, that's why they call it basketball, and that's why you play the games. And, uh, and I'll give you another. Go, go I was going to say ahead. that it, it, is, it is, as the saying goes, it is often better to be lucky than to be good. Mm-hmm. Duke was was very good this season, but they also – had uh, a lot of flaws they could be taken advantage of or, or could at least uh, could at least cut the game a, a way that a, a team with a lot less talent could keep up with them. And, and that, as you pointed out, Jason, that's sort of what, what caught up to them in the tournament, be it if it was going to happen in the UCF game or the Virginia Tech game or, or finally in the Michigan State game, Duke was always in danger of that. And, um, and, and the luck ran out and it just sort of went the other way, right? 
Yeah, well, and I'll tell you, there's one other lucky thing that I want to talk about really quickly regarding this year's Duke team. I think that we were unlucky in our three-point shooting. And allow me to explain. Look, just a couple of years ago, Luke Kennard, as a freshman, did not shoot well from three. And you looked at his shot, you looked at his reputation coming into Duke, and you were like, that guy's a better shooter than that. You know, all the ones that sometimes rattle in, they rattled out for him this year. And all the ones that sort of sometimes graze the rim and, you know, bounce off the backboard and go in, none of those went in for him this year. And so he had an unlucky freshman season, and then Luke Kennard had perhaps a lucky sophomore season or a normal sophomore season, but he was lights out from three and lights out as a shooter. I think that it's entirely possible just based on the way they look um, when they take their shot, their reputation and things like that, what we've heard about what they did in practice and the such. I think it's very possible that Duke's primary three-point shooters this year, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, Alex O'Connell, and Jack White. I think that all four of those guys had unlucky seasons from three. Um, If you look over the course of their career, I bet Alex O'Connell, who hit 37% of his threes this year, that dude's going to be above 40% on his threes throughout the rest of his career. Jack White, 27%. Remember, he was over 30, I think, at one point. I guarantee you next year, I guarantee you, I'll put money on it right now, Jack White hits 35% of his threes next year. I'm telling you, I've looked at his stroke. I've seen the stats from practices and things like that. We've heard the reports. Jack White is a good three-point shooter. Cam Reddish hit a third of his threes. This dude's going to drain more than a third of his threes from the NBA three-point line next year. I really think that's the case. I think Duke got unlucky in all of our guys who are primary three-point shooters just didn't shoot well from three this year. Yeah, so real quick to end it, um, if you guys watched One Shining Moment, which was you know probably at, what, 103 in the, uh, <laughs> on the East Coast, there was a few things that I noticed about that. Um, those close calls that we had against Virginia Tech and UCF both made one shining moment. And there was a lot of other one shining moments that were lucky plays. You know, you had the play against Auburn, you had the, uh, for Virginia, uh, the shot that Virginia had against Purdue, they go to overtime. A lot of these plays, these one shining moments were all lucky plays. And that just tells you that luck was everywhere in the tournament. And sometimes it just doesn't find our team. All right, so let's let's go from uh, that question. Thanks again to to David McGinnis for for that one, um, Donald. I know that you had um, that you had also pulled one out that we got. So do you want to go ahead and read that? So this question is a great question, and it comes from John Blocker, who emailed us. And thank you for this question. Who does you have as your first and second starting five of the twenty first century so far? But one rule to make it interesting: the players had to be at Duke for at least three years. So John. We took this question, and when we were discussing it, we realized that we probably, all three of us, have the same five to ten players, um, and it's just a matter of whether it's going to be uh, uh, what, what team they're going to be on. So here's what we did. We take your question, and we are going to flip it and make it a draft. Now, rules are there is, we're going to do the first, uh, the starting five, and we have done a random randomizer order. So I have the first pick. Sam has the second pick. Jason drew the third pick and any guy who has played at least three years in a Duke uniform starting and have played after June 1st, 2001, which is the start of the 21st century, they are eligible for contention. So we have, there's really not that many guys that fall under this, but 
I think each of us can get a starting five that people will make interesting. So, guys. Hold on, Donald. Donald, did you say June 1st? You meant January 1st. Yes. I'm sorry, January 1st, 2001. Yes. Because that would, that would change the equation here. Yes, January 1st, 2001. So, there's a couple guys who probably will be the first two picked that just squeaked in. But we are going to start. And, guys, I, I, I think I, I told you I, we don't lie to the fans, but I definitely lied to you. Um, you guys – the first pick is definitely going to be Shane Battier for me. So um, no explanation needed. And Sam, who do you got for your first pick? Yeah, Donald, I knew you were lying. <laughs> you you yeah, told us that it wasn't going to be area, so. your most obvious pick, and we know that you were going to pick Shane Battier. Friend of the podcast. Uh, it, look, it's a great pick. Uh, I'm going to take Jason Williams as my as my first pick. I think that I can is a great use him pick at, too. At, I can use him at point guard, or I can use him at shooting guard. Um, he sort of operates in both places. So I'm going to take Jason Williams. Uh, Jason Evans, not Jason Williams. Jason Evans. Who do you have for your first pick in this I mean, uh, 21st century draft? It's not even a debate. There are three players who stand out above all the rest. Three players who I think arguably could go on the all time starters for a duke team not just 21st century and the third of those guys is jj reddick yep that's that's exactly how i thought this was going to go by the um, way and- by the way keep track of positions where your guys are playing because I, I don't want you drafting like four point guards and then like a small forward you got to take a center well oh we hey, know a starting five could be a starting five hey there are small lineups there are big lineups so it all depends on who you draw um the next one for me i'm going to go and this is probably the fourth on the list for, for most people, um, Sheldon Williams names in the rafters. I got my center, uh, and the landlord will make you pay your rent. So I'd I'd like to point out to the audience right now that we are not doing this as a snake. We had a long discussion about this. I am vehemently opposed to the draft order that we are doing. (laughs) The fact that Donald gets the first and the fourth pick and I get the third and the sixth pick is just blatantly unfair. Had I had the fourth pick, I too would have taken Sheldon Williams. I also was going to take Sheldon Williams, but guys, we've now picked the the four dudes who have their jerseys retired. So right. like <laughs> now it's gonna get like, interesting. That's like, gonna get duh. interesting. <laughs> yeah. All right, um, Sam, what do you got? All right, here we are in the in the realm of of post jersey retirement guys. And I feel like now that I have Jason Williams, who is obviously quite versatile, I feel like I want to take a bigger guy. Um, there's a few that I think I can choose from. Hmm. Let's see. I'm going to, I'm going to take, uh, my classmate, Kyle Singler, who I feel like I can, I can put in a variety of situations and he's going to be successful for me. All right. That's a good pick. Jason, who you got for your second pick? Uh, so this guy was on my first team and I'm surprised he's still on the board. I thought he was the fifth best player. Carlos Boozer. Mm. I was going to take that from you if you didn't take it. See, uh-huh. Here's the thing. Yeah. Here's, like I was going to. Was I going to give you Shane, Carlos, and Sheldon? No. We're, we would have infinity dunks. Let's <laughs> that would be a lot of dunks. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about Carlos Boozer going over uh, – Jason, in your, in your pick, Carlos Boozer going over Kyle Singler. I feel like Singler is a lot more versatile, but, but there we go. I don't need versatile. I'm going to have five great players every position. Carlos Boozer will play power forward for me and will destroy you. <laughs> no. So my third pick is going to be someone who also went to school when I was there and can hit the three, can go inside, can go outside, uh, and was very versatile and somebody that I'm going to need uh, and also can create a big lineup and also can play against a small guard. I'm going with Mike Dunleavy. 
Great pick. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a great pick. Uh, he was, he was next. He was next on my board. Yeah. Yeah. Good one. Um, hmm. I feel like I am still missing big size. Uh, and Boozer and Sheldon Williams are both off the board at this point. Um, so I, I've sort of got a got a debate going on between like taking a taking a good shifty guard or or taking big size. Um, I do have two good rebounders for their size already. So I'm down to, I'm down to a couple dudes. Mm, yeah. Let's go with rebounding. I'm going to take Mason Plumley. Okay. That's a good one. I like that one. All right. What do you uh, got, I, Jason? So, so I, I, I need a point guard still. Cause I've got JJ and I've got Carlos. Don't um, do it. Don't do uh, it. Don't do am it. I, am I taking Nolan Smith or John Shire? So I've got a key question for you. Um, are we just getting this guy in like his best year or do we take like his whole career or, or how does that work? You take I the think- whole, you, you can explain it however you want, but I, I was going with whole career, but you can explain it however you want. I mean, if I can take Nolan Smith's senior year, um, I'm taking that. If I'm going a whole career, I'm taking John Shire. So you tell me you're, you're in charge of this thing. Okay, so we're going to do whole career. Since we were talking about Jersey retirements, that encompasses a whole career. So we're going to talk about a whole career. And I have John Shire. John Shire. All right. Um, Because you did that, I'm taking Nolan Smith as my fourth pick. Uh, (laughs) Because, and here's the thing. He wasn't very good as a a freshman and sophomore. (laughs) Yeah, I love Chris Duhine. I love his distribution. But uh, I think with this team, uh, I need someone who can distribute as well as score, and, and Nolan Smith fits that bill. So, uh, Sam, who you guys your fourth pick? All right, I have. I know I need a guard at this point because I've got I've got Jason Williams, I've got Kyle Singler, and I've got Mason Plumley. There's a couple of guards that I'm looking at that I feel like are versatile enough to play for me. Um, Chris Duhon, as you guys mentioned, is is certainly on there. It's really between him and yeah, you know what? I'm going to go with Chris Duhon. That's a good pick. Um, Shout I, uh, out to my man Chris. I got I got a couple other dudes that I'm that I'm thinking about, but um, but yeah, big fan of Chris Duhans. Hey, hey right. can I can I point out something about Chris Duhan that's going to blow people's minds as they remember him? Chris Duhan averaged as a senior his last year. He averaged exactly ten points per game, just barely by one point. Mm-hmm. He snuck into the double-digit scoring category. This dude was not a scorer. <laughs> but he was, and, yeah. You, but I have, but I have Kyle Singler and Mason Plumley and Jason Williams on my team. Yeah. So yes, I've got. But here's the thing: he also played on teams where he wasn't called on to be a primary or secondary or even a third or fourth scorer. He was just called on to pass the ball and let guys like Shane Battier and Jason Williams and and, and, and Lou Dang and JJ Reddick. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, Jason. Who's your fourth one? Uh, so I, I I feel like I need a wing. I've got I've got a point guard. I've got a shooting guard. I've got a big man. I feel like I need a wing. And oh man, I'm really trying to decide here. I think I think I'm going Gerald Henderson. Damn it! Damn it! Damn it! I was ah. going to pick him because uh, that's a good pick because you know someone sometimes you need someone who just needs to dunk the life out of the place and. Sam knows what I'm talking about. Sometimes Gerald Henderson is called on to dunk the life out of a place. It's and true. That would have been a it's great what he does. For me. But unfortunately, Jason, you got him. So now you have me scrambling a little bit. Um, who am I going to pick? So right now I have a lot of sh- – I have some good shooting. I have some good inside presence. I have some good versatility. Uh, but what I'm going to do, this might be a 
little controversial, but I'm going to go with somebody who's a glue guy. And I, I already have the quintessential glue guy in Shane Battier, but I need another glue guy who's just going to do the dirty work, no questions asked. I'm going Emil Jefferson. It's a good pick. I, if you, He was going to be my fifth pick. Good job, man. Yeah. So my, my concern right now, so I, I've got a center in Mason Plumley. I've got a forward in Kyle Singler. The question is, is he a power forward or a small forward? If he's a power forward, then I can afford to take another guard. Um, and there's one in particular that I'm, that I'm very much thinking about taking. The question is, do I take, do I take one more guard or do I take one more big man? Um, uh, and, and I guess, yeah, I think I like his, I think I like his versatility. I think I like his rebounding at his position. I'm, I'm pretty happy in general with my rebounders. And I think at this point I'm getting all national champions. I'm going to go with Grayson Allen all uh, right. for my fifth pick. I cannot be mad at that pick either. Um, that's a pretty good pick. Um, all right, Jason, last pick. Who do you got? So there are some still some really, really good Blue Devils left. And by the way, Grayson Allen was far and away the highest guy left on my board. Um, uh, Seth Curry, we haven't picked yet. Quinn Cook, we haven't picked yet. Daniel Ewing, we haven't picked yet. Wait, 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 but wait, I, Jason, Jason. Yes. Daniel Ewing just got another technical. Um, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I really, I need another big man. And uh, I know we said we're taking career. I'm taking Greg's, uh, yeah. Don't, don't say Greg Kubek. You were about to no, say Greg Kubek. I, I almost did. I'm taking Brian Zubek. Brian Zubek. year, his senior year. I'm just taking his senior year. Hey, you know what? He dunked, again, you have a couple guys. He dunked, the, he dunked so hard against Xavier his senior year that CBS in a regular season game treated it like the NCAA tournament and switched to another game. That is, that, <laughs> that, that's awesome. Okay. I can't so, believe that Seth Curry, Quinn Cook, and Daniel Ewing didn't get picked. Well, as Miles I Plumley said, and Ryan Kelly also didn't get picked. Yeah. As I said, and, and there's, I mean, there's a lot of guys who, uh, like I said, uh, in our pregame talk, um, there's a lot of guys who end up on the cutting room floor from this. Uh, that just tells you how, many great players we've had over the years. And again, this only encompassed players that played at least three years. It does not talk about all the, you know, the guys who played one or two years um, that easily would have supplanted a lot of these guys on these lists. So, Hey guys, I got a quick question for you. Mm-hmm. If we could take anybody, would you have taken Zion first? I think I would. Yeah. He's, he's the most versatile player. He can basically do everything. Um, yeah, I, I think I think any player in Duke history, and and if I'm just picking one season of his, um, I'm either taking Zion Williamson's freshman year or I'm taking what Christian Leitner's senior year. That's I I think that's that's pretty much it on the uh, on the best seasons list for me. Donald, yeah, I, I would say uh, if if I could take Zion's freshman year or Kyrie Irving's first eight games, like. Those yeah, Kyrie Irving's first eight games. Were, those were are, I mean, honestly, too. like the the most electric, the most amazing performance I've ever seen from a Duke player before this year was Kyrie against Michigan State, and Zion had fourteen better ones this year, probably. Um, so yeah, I would definitely have taken him first. All right, I, so I keep on trying to I keep on trying to talk myself into JJ Reddick's senior year, which was ridiculous, ridiculous, or yeah, or Shane or Shane Battier, who was the best defensive player we've probably ever seen at Duke, but 
Man, but then Zion, Zion Williamson so appeared. He was so good on both ends of the floor. He, he won just, National Defensive Player of the Year three times, and Zion would have won everything if he was nominated. Like, but he wasn't even nominated. Yeah. Like, yeah. So we'll never yeah. have that. Okay. So to recap, uh, and thank you, John Blocker, for this question, which spurred this little draft thing. Um, I have in my starting five. Shane Battier, Sheldon Williams, Mike Dunleavy, Nolan Smith, and Emil Jefferson. Sam has Jason Williams, Kyle Singler, Mason Plumley, Chris Duhon, and Grayson Allen. And Jason rounds us out with J.J. Redick, Carlos Boozer, John Shire, Gerald Henderson, and Brian Zubek. But guys, uh, one thing that are I think is common about all three of these teams is all three of these teams would have won this year's national championship. Oh yeah. So? <laughs> yeah, you sure? Oh no. Jason, <laughs> Jason's team is littered with guys who didn't win national championships. And they would have uh, won this year. So <laughs> so I don't know. The, wait, wait. Carlos Donald's Boozer, team is interesting. Uh, hey, Carlos Boozer's wearing a ring. So is John no, Shire. And so is what do you mean Brian littered Smith, with you, not Yeah. Well, relatives relative to our teams that only have national champions on them. You have two non national champions. Donald and I collectively have zero. So uh that's mm. that's a that's a mark that's a mark against you although one of your guys is is JJ Redick. Donald's team is interesting I feel like because it's got a lot of size. Um you know, you've got Mike Dunleavy. Mike Dunleavy is is your shooting guard and Nolan Smith is your point guard. So that's a that's a big team. Mm-hmm. Um that that's like it, they're real big. They'll probably get a lot more rebounds than my team will. Um I like my team's uh, athleticism though. I feel like I feel like you guys are going to get are going to get rocked by my team's athleticism. Everyone on my team can run the floor. Um, everyone can dunk. Everyone can 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 get around real fast. I'm I I feel like I got a shifty team. I'm happy about them, and they all rebound well. They yeah. all rebound well. Uh, I don't know, Sam. I'll, I'll I'll be honest. I think I think you've got the weakest team. Uh, Mason really didn't come on till his senior year. Um, I already mentioned Duhan is not much of a scorer. I have uh, I have Jason Williams and Grayson Allen and Kyle Singler. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's Jay Will. Jay Will got, was unstoppable at times. Mm-hmm. I've got I've got score. I've got plenty of scoring. I'm not worried about scoring. Chris Duhon only has to facilitate, and he knows uh, how to facilitate next to Jason Williams. Just put it this way: uh, Shane Battier had one of the greatest seasons ever his senior year, and was not a consensus national player of the year because of Jason Williams. Right, Amen, and, brother. Yeah, yeah, that that dude was hot. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how we're going to decide if people want to tell us uh, which of these teams they prefer. Uh, I obviously like them all, uh, but but I'm obvi- but I'm rolling with my guys, you know, because because they're my guys. Right. So, um, <laughs> that was a that was a great question from from John um, Donald. I'll I'll send it back to you. I know you've got uh, one more to read for us, right? Yes, I do. And this one comes from Adrian Turner, uh, who probably has the question of the year. Um, it's a it's a great question and one that I know. Uh, we have discussed and, uh, and back and forth and people in the forums as well. It's been a recurring debate over the last few years. So Adrian writes, I have been an advocate of the one and done talent, especially since the 2015 title. But after this year, I firmly believe we need to change our approach. I keep going back to that 2010 title team who had nine five-star players on that roster and were full of mainly juniors and seniors. I think landing Matthew Hurt on next year's team, uh, uh, incoming recruit, uh, who are who are targeting would be a drastic mistake and bad for player development for players like Joey Baker and Jack White. I would really like to see them add a guy and get more guys who would be here three to four years. So, Sam, I'm going to start with you. This is basically the one and done debate, and 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 really, 
what do you, where do you stand? And, and, and obviously we've had some years where one and done has worked. We've had some years that one and done has fallen well short. Uh, so where are you at today? I think that the, the challenge here and, and Adrian brings it up is that there's, there's less continuity for the guys who are talented enough to be the four-year players. You know, I'm thinking about the Alex O'Connell's and the Joey Bakers, and even honestly, at this point, the Marquise Bolden's who um, don't necessarily get the kind of playing time early in their careers that a Shane Battier got, or um, that a Kyle Singler got that led them to be as productive as they were, you know, in their, in their junior and senior seasons. I think that's the, the trickiest part about the one and done is that you're putting these guys in a, um, kind of in a tough position where they don't know exactly when they're going to get the playing time. Um, there's obviously still something to be said for getting to play next to, you know, big NBA talent and getting to go up against the Zions and the RJ Barrett's in practice. But I think there's a point where, um, where if you have too many of them and, and Duke is probably at that position now where it, it, it makes it hard to have continuity in the program and, and have guys, uh, learn and stick around and, and get better year to year. You see not only Duke having more players leave for the pros these days, but also more players transferring. It's I, I, no one has this year, uh, but it's it, it, at this point, it's like more often than not that Duke is having players transfer. We're always talking about it on this show about all the guys who were leaving and, Oh, wouldn't it be great if they still had this guy or still had that guy uh, that, that comes up, I think more than, than we particularly care for i think the other thing that i mentioned last year when zion williamson committed and this was sort of before we knew what a what a you know outlandish basketball player zion williamson was going to be but when he committed i said i believe my reaction at the time was like all right whatever like i'll see him next year i don't really i'm, I'm sort of numb to all the to all the new players at this point it, it it's it feels like a burden as a fan to to be constantly having to like relearn who the players are and, and and see the one class go out and the next guys come in. I don't know. It, it, it's sort of overwhelming for me. And I don't, um, I, I don't see as much of the the continuity. And I think it sort of coincided with Duke deciding to go with this, the, the whole, the brotherhood branding. Um, I think that's, that's somewhat in an attempt to, to kind of paint over um, the way that the programs had a lot of turnover in recent years. You're not one and done until you actually go after one year. I mean, if you think about it, you know, Marquise Bolden was viewed as a one-and-done player when he got to Duke. He's not obviously a one-and-done player. Trey Jones was viewed as a one-and-done player. We now know he's coming back for a second year. And even, I mean, yes, yes, Zion and RJ and, and Cam are expected to go, but they're not one-and-done until they actually declare. Now, we expect them to, but that is, it, it's, it's sort of this thing where people want us to get all the top recruits in the country and then keep them four to five years. And that's just not how the system is set up. The, the guys who are in college that are the top, you know, five, 10 recruits, and even some further down, believe that they have the talent to go to the NBA and that this is just a stopgap on the way to that goal. And, and really, with a win-now environment, fans don't have the luxury, uh, you know, coaches don't have the luxury of waiting because fans demand that you win now. You win win the games, win with the talent you have in front of you. And, and especially when it's Duke, no one is going to expect Duke to get, you know, a few top 80 recruits and, you know, have a, a second round knockout uh, and then maybe a sweet 16 and build up to a national championship. 
every single year, people do not care who we have on our team. Our, our haters want us out in the first round, and our fans want to see us win a national championship. That's how it is. And I think at this point, Coach K has decided in his latter years, because we're, you know, we I think we've said he's in his last five years for about five years now. But in these last years that he has as, as in his coaching career, he wants to work with the best players possible. He's not going to the NBA. He's not coaching Team USA anymore. So he is going to go out and get the best possible players that he can and try to see if he can take those guys and win with those guys. But at the end of the day, people are going to have to make the decision of, do you want three to four year guys? Or do you want guys who are the best talents that we've seen? If we had lost, if, if do you think anyone would have gone after, would have not gone after Zion Williamson, knowing that he's probably going to go after a year and be the number one pick? Absolutely not. Every single team in the country would want Zion Williamson on their team. And that is the reality. Those type of guys are going to leave after a year for the most part. Not, I'm not saying all of them, but for the most part, they are all going to go. And keep in mind, guys, UNC has two one-and-dones on their team this year. They had been talking all year about how they're a family, about how their guys never leave, about how they stay and they play and they win national championships and they create, a, they leave a legacy. Well, Kobe White and Nasir Little are both gone. And to this point, as we record, we have zero one-and-dones on our team. So that is just something that people are going to have to take. And as the system evolves, then we can have this discussion a little bit further. But I think when we're talking about going to strive to be the best, that means going out and trying to get the best possible recruits under the risk that we only have them for one year. So here's where I am on this. First of all, I have an appeal. I want to say something to the entire world of Duke fandom. Please stop judging one done by whether or not we win a national title. We just had a discussion a couple minutes ago where we talked about the luck that goes into winning the national title. Virginia pulled a four in 10,000 shot out. And as a result, they won a national title this year. Duke didn't. And so we didn't. So stop judging us only by whether we win a national title. Let me tell you what the one and done era has been like at Duke. We've been winning ACC tournaments like crazy. We are consistently, consistently in the top five in the rankings all season long. Hey, guys, what are the worst seasons we've had over the past decade? There have been like maybe three years in the past decade where you went, you know what? Uh, I don't think this Duke team can win a national title. All the other years, we could have won a national title. Those three years, Jabari Parker won and done, Austin Rivers won and done, um, and uh, Brandon Ingram won and done. Those are the years we only had one one and done player. When Duke has two or three or four one and done players, we make the Elite Eight or we win a national title. That's the reality. Look at the stats. Go back and look at how these Duke teams have performed. You put three or four first round NBA draft picks on a Duke team, and they go deep in the tournament and they win an ACC tournament, and they are among the best teams in the country. Yeah, I'm sorry. The you know, we got a little unlucky. Michigan State ran a great play and hit a desperation three, and then things didn't work out for us at the other end, and so we lost. But you know what? Don't judge one and done only by national titles. That's number one. Number two is I actually have a solution for all of this, and my solution is this. Even though I just talked about how 
Duke's done really well when we had three and four one and done kind of players. I'd like to see us ratchet back a little tiny bit, like what we have coming in this coming season in 2019, where we've really got we got one one and done, maybe two uh, in Vernon Carey and Wendell Moore. If we add Matthew Hurt, that would be, you know, two and a half, three. I'd like to see us be in that kind of range where we're not really loading up on like four guys where it's two or three one and done guys, because I think it gives us a little more room to develop one more player. And I think if we develop one more player a year, a guy who's not one and done, a guy who's, you know, a top 30 or a top 40 recruit as opposed to a top 10, I think that that's a situation where Duke is getting the best, uh, but we're also developing new guys. And uh, and the last thing I'll have to say about all this, you guys already said it, but I think it's worth stressing again. Coach K wants to coach the best players. We want to see the best players at Duke. And the utter joy of watching Zion Williamson this season, it would have been unbelievably tragic if after we signed R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish, if Duke backed off of Zion Williamson because went, wait, we've, we've already got two stud one and duns. Trey Jones looks like he might be a third. We're not going to go for another one. What, what a tragedy. How sad it would have been if we didn't get this season from Zion Williamson. And these guys turn into amazing ambassadors for Duke in the NBA and elsewhere. I mean, the whole country knows the first time they were exposed to Marvin Bagley, to Jason Tatum, to Kyrie Irving, to R.J. Barrett, to Zion Williamson. The first time they got to know those players was when they wore a Duke uniform. And that's a really good thing. And that keeps Coach K very, very happy. And I want to keep Coach K happy. Yeah, I'm thinking about this team without Zion Williamson. What do you think? They're a they're a three or four seed, four seed probably without Zion Williamson, given yeah, especially given probably. the way that they played without him, without him. I mean, as good as RJ Barrett was, uh, this team really lacked, the team this season really lacked shooting and outside of Trey Jones didn't have a reliable defender. Um, so yeah, the, the, the Zion factor is, is huge for this team. Donald, why don't you, uh, why don't you finish this up and then we'll, uh, and then we'll, we'll take the show down. Yeah, and I, I think, uh, Jason, you kind of alluded to it when we are talking about how these guys are great ambassadors for the program. The Brotherhood, as, as, as you said, Sam, uh, is, is a brand that is well-renowned now. Uh, and, and when you think about it, let's go back to the haters for a second. All the haters were really, really hoping that we lost in the first round, in the second round, in the Sweet 16, and then eventually the Elite Eight. They were all clamoring for our demise but how many how many of those same people were tuning in every single night to watch zion williamson and rj barrett play how many people who are fans of nba teams who hate duke but are hoping that their teams tank for zion or rj barrett or even cam Reddish, who is projected to be a lottery pick as well all of these guys at the end of the day when they go into the nba marvin bagley is having a terrific year uh rookie season for Sacramento and most people forget he played for Duke because Zion Williamson is there and RJ Barrett is there so at the end of the day those guys carry the Duke brand and they carry the Duke name wherever they go whenever they are introduced in an arena from here on out for the rest of their career it will be Zion Williamson 6'8 forward or 6'6 forward Duke it's going to be that name that carries us and that is why when we go after these players yeah they may leave after one year but we have to appreciate the time that we have with them while they're here 
All right. And I think that that is going to do it for today on the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Uh, no players of the week as we are now fully in off-season mode. Feel free to uh, send us more emails at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. I think we had some we had some fun discussions today and we'll hopefully keep those going. Of course, if there are uh, if there's any news breaking from Duke on the uh, on the NBA draft front, on the recruiting front, any of that stuff, we will be back here to talk about it uh, and and be of course analyzing the the draft prospects of of our guys as the draft gets nearer in June. So um, stick around and into the off season we. We've, I think we've been good every every offseason of at least staying in about a once-a-month clip, just to, depending on on how the news piles up. So uh, don't forget to refresh. Uh, keep checking DukeBasketballReport.com and, 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 of course, the forums where we like to hang out. I think Jason and, and Donald do a little bit more hanging out there than I do, but we're all there. We're all checking it all the time. Um, and once again, of course, thank you to our sponsors, Bird Campbell, B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com, Bird Campbell means business they of course have been the longtime sponsor of this show and uh, will continue to be even into the uh even into the offseason so with that um for jason evans in atlanta and for donald wine up in washington dc i am sam klein coming to you from durham this has been episode 158 of the duke basketball report podcast duke band take us home